Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are we doing, buddy? Uh, it looks like Boston's been a little on the cool side. Yeah, it's been a little on the cool side, which is the side that I like it on. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> my fitness is coming along. I did a, a nice long uh, gravel ride with a, a bunch of friends over the weekend, and my legs didn't betray me, which was like a revelatory thing. You know what I mean? Where you finish the ride. Like I finished the ride with gas in the tank. Um, and yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. Uh, it may also, that may also have something to do with today being a rest day. Um, <laughs> as, as the rain falls and the coffee brews, you know, like I don't have any problems today. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How about you? Very What's cool. going on? I was supposed to do the Boggs eight hour mountain bike race this coming, uh, Saturday. I've mm. never been able to, to, to do the Boggs race before. Um, yes. I've been hearing about it for ages and I have tendonitis in your knee. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, left knee. Um, yeah. since I have two, I should probably specify. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I'm not doing a bike race this weekend. I am terribly uh-huh. sorry. I've had uh, tendonitis yeah. in my knees before, uh, and the only thing for it is rest, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've tried doing a few rides here and there, and you know, it starts acting up. So, like, I. What, like last Friday I did an easy-ish mountain bike ride, but the climbing alone was enough to, you know, halfway through the ride. was like, yo, Um, yesterday I went out for a flat, easy one-hour spin on the bike path, something I do, well, have traditionally done quite frequently. On the way back, my, my knee was like, you know, we don't hurt, but this is just to let you know things aren't right. Um, mm. yeah. So you do get to use that classic American phrase. Ah, my trick knees playing up, which, you know, so that's one thing you got going for you. Yeah. I've never <laughs> been good at playing that card. It's like, you know, crazy mm. eights and you, you never know what to do with the six or whatever. I don't, I, I don't know. I <laughs> suicide Kings. I'm bad at that. Yeah. I don't know any of these games. Yeah. So, well, um, what are you pulling on yeah. this week? Let's let's get let's get to it. Uh, so this week, I want to take on another listener topic suggestion. This is another one from old friend John in Michigan, who is basically a producer on the show now. 
Um, John, if you're out there, we appreciate you. And uh, congratulations. It's your first podcast production credit. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're producing other podcasts. But um, and, if, and if people enjoy this, I mean, try to find John and his other podcasts. So anyway, John said... Uh, you have danced with the idea that lighter isn't always better, but maybe you could explicitly make the case why and why has bike stuff marketing been wrong? How might they change the messaging without causing massive whiplash? That's his, which is a great topic. It's a topic, mm. uh, that as I thought about it, I, you know, I, I, whipped myself into a frenzy and I had difficulty in making my notes, uh, today in like forming reasoned arguments. So this one took me, you know, this one took me a little time. Uh, but, but here's what I think. First, I want to say that the preoccupation with weight and then later with stiffness, uh, is understandable, even if in the end, it's a pretty poor lens. Uh, they're both pretty poor lenses to look at a bike through. The truth is, what makes a bike great is often an amalgamation of a number of nuanced and complicated things that are hard to communicate in marketing copy or even in short videos. Mm. Uh, this stuff requires a deep understanding of bike geometry, material science, fit, component choice, component sizing, etc., etc., etc. There's a lot of moving pieces to a great bike. Weight is easy to talk about because it's quantifiable. Stiffness is similar, even if not so clear-cut. So marketing loves an easy story to tell and a thing that consumers can verify on their own. So if one thing is lighter than another, uh, then that is objectively true. It requires no expert opinion or long explanation. Yeah. Um, and it's not that something being light isn't good. Light, light is good most of the time, a lot of the time. It's hard to argue with that, but as an absolute proposition, it ignores the, um, the quality of the function of the thing that is light. Uh, as an example, rim caliper brakes are lighter than disc brakes. Which one is better? Well, it depends. <laughs> yeah, uh, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Stiffness can also be good or bad, uh, but it depends on where that stiffness is, how stiff it is, and frankly, whether the rider will benefit more from stiffness or compliance. Uh, a stiff drivetrain is usually good, but an overstiff front end can be punishing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so telling a story about strategic vertical compliance is harder than just talking about stiffness and the resulting power transfer. So, again, the truth mm -hmm. is complicated and nuanced. I don't expect marketers to start doing long-form educational pieces, uh, although some, <laughs> some do invest time in that uh, as a way to, you know, you have your sort of short messages and your middle-length messages and then your longer messages. So some, some people are out there doing it. I think what we need really is an incremental approach to how we talk about bikes that brings more people along for the ride, if you'll excuse the pun. <laughs> um, bikes are fun. Mm. Performance, 
performance, which terms like weight and stiffness speak to, are seldom actually important for a given rider, right? Most mm-hmm. riders don't really require performance. Um, they don't need that last 3% that, you know, the, the world time trial champion needs. They don't need the last 3% that is the difference in the winning run at an enduro or whatever. Um, so let's focus on what a bike does well and not try to turn everything into a maxed out performance upgrade. What I, what I think I'd like to see is a move toward defining what a bike is good at in slightly more thoughtful terms. The characteristics of a bicycle aren't digital. You know, they're not Mm -hmm. light or heavy. They're not stiff or compliant. They exist on a continuum. And most bikes are good for some defined purpose. The engineers were trying to solve some specific problem or set of problems when they they put the bike together. I'd, I'd just like marketing messages to engage that side of the story rather than resorting to lazy shorthand like weight, stiffness, or whatever the next flavor of the month ends up being. Um, am I asking too much here? Is this, am I nuts? I, okay. Those uh, are mutually exclusive. No, I, <laughs> um, uh, no, I mean, you're not, uh, you're not asking too much. Um, before I dig too much into that, I want to go back to you, your, your previous idea here and just address that quickly. Um, regarding performance, my sense based on the behavior I've seen of friends over many years is that no one wants to feel like they're at a disadvantage. No one wants to feel like they've got a bike that is going to prevent them from, you know, their, their abilities allowing them to keep up with their friends. Um, you know, they're willing to deal with their own drawbacks. That second beer they had last night, uh, you know, the, the box of, of Cheetos, whatever box, um, <laughs> they box you know, those now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so they, you know, they're going to deal with whatever their dietary and training, uh, uh, regimen has, has brought them to what they don't want is a bike that prevents them from wringing whatever personal performance they can out of said bicycle. So if they've got the strength that on an equal bicycle to what their friends are riding, they can keep up with the group. That's what they want. They don't want a bike that will see them get dropped because it's got an extra 8% drag or something. Sure. I, it's a def- <laughs> I, I like your point. I like your point because it's a defensive thing, right? It's like we're defending against our friends or we're defending against the possibility that we won't be able to keep up and what and i and i feel that right i feel all mm-hmm. the fear doubt and insecurity that anyone who throws a leg over a bike in the company of others has to deal with i get that yep uh i guess what i would say to everyone listening is it's and i and i hate to even say this phrase it's not about the bike <laughs> <laughs> um so, uh, you know, my take is people are looking for a kind of baseline. Um, yeah. And, you know, in the uh, hyper affluent and uh, hyper ambitious and hyper aggro 
uh, environment of Southern California, um, Dura-Ace was baseline. Right. It was, it was kind of a crazy environment. And I'm reminded of my visit with Shimano at Sea Otter just a couple weeks ago, where in going through the new edition of Altagra, they've finally, they finally made the proposition of buying Altagra as a smarter choice than buying Dura-Ace. You now have more compelling reasons to buy Altagra than you do Dura-Ace. The, the reduction in weight and the increase in expense and the, the, the marginality of the other technical improvements of Dura-Ace make it much more a passion purchase than a sensible purchase these days. Um, and so I think really a lot of times uh, consumers have bought things because they what they hear is this is now the baseline for what you need uh, to be, you know, the best cyclist that you can be. Um, and then they don't see that as the pinnacle of achievement, but the baseline of exploring what they have within themselves. Um, that maybe gets a little further into the rabbit hole than we needed. Your central question, light. Um, you know, as, as American advertising became briefer and punchier and more bottom line, um, the bike industry, we were 10 or 15 years behind what a lot of the advertising world was done, was doing, but the bike world started going with, well, what can we do to get across that this product is better than it used to be? And for a long, long time, light was the better. Uh, you know, my first really good road bike was like 25 pounds. It was a touring bike. Um, my first good racing bike, you know, Campy Super Record was 23 pounds. Um, my first titanium bike, my seven, uh, with Durace on it was 17 pounds. That was a six pound jump, dude. Um, you know, there was, there was no way to argue that that bike wasn't better in a myriad of ways. Um, but we're at a point technologically where going ever lighter isn't going to really wring much performance out of the bike. Um, as my friend, Super Dave, Dave Casel, who uh, uh, used to be the road product manager for Felt and was the product manager for 3T when they were launched. And he's done a bunch of things in the industry. Super smart guy. Back in 2008, he said, all the significant gains we're going to make from here on out, aerodynamics. We've done, mm. we've done 90% of what we can in weight. I mean, part of the problem you, you reach is, you know, a 600 gram road frame is really fragile. Um, some of the materials right. that are having to be used to make sure that they've got a certain amount of impact resistance and, uh, you know, whatever else, um, those, those materials start getting just ultra expensive. Um, so there's not a lot that can be done, um, in terms of reducing weight on a bike. 
and still having a bike that is, you know, durable and serviceable and, you know, all Stable. these things that we expect. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the other the other piece here that I want to put out is that if you are looking to wring the last bits of performance out of the machine, mm-hmm. say a 3% overall difference or a 5% overall difference, in order to realize those gains, if you are riding with other people who you feel might be ahead of you, you, you have to um, exert your entire effort. In mm-hmm. other words, you will always be able to come overcome a uh, half a pound weight difference in your machine with your legs unless you have exerted all of your effort. Uh, and I just don't know that many people who come back from a group ride every time fully spent. You know, it's just like, I think it's just a lie we're telling mm-hmm. ourselves. Well, and it's an know, expensive one. Uh, I mean, objectively, yes, you know, but for somebody who earns half a million dollars a year, not really. Uh, You know, my response to that in terms of, you know, making the the full effort that you're able to make is, you know, a lot of people, they're going to go out on the group ride and they're going to ride just as hard as they did last week and the week before and the week before. Again, we're talking a baseline here. This is how I do my group ride. And if they can sell their existing bike and drop an extra $2,000 and buy a new road bike and end up in the front quarter of the group instead of the third quarter of the group, they're dropping the change. Um, Yeah, I'm just saying it's always the legs and never the bike. If you have a 26-pound touring bike and you're getting down onto a 17-pound road bike... It might be the bike, but if you're <laughs> trimming ounces out of your road bike with a new road bike, it's not the bike. Maybe it's psychological and that has value, but it's not the bike. Uh, <laughs> I keep slicing this like 45 degrees from where you are. Where aerodynamics <laughs> are concerned, you can make some big, big differences. Um, it's... You can do more in aerodynamics than you could ever do with weight. That's the thing that, you know, it's it's hard to pick up on that until you're really out on the road. Um, but man, what you can do with aerodynamics, it's uh, it's remarkable. It really is. I was about to use the phrase, but don't you think, which is my worst, my <laughs> least favorite debating phrase. So I'm going to put it aside and I'm going to say, um, do you think that most people reach speeds at which they gain actual aerodynamic on a, on a regular group ride? And I'm not even, this isn't necessarily even a road ride. This, this might be a mixed terrain ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they mm-hmm. gaining, are they reaching speeds at which the aerodynamics that they've invested in are, are yielding real dividends? Uh- yeah, if you eclipse 20 miles per hour, you're at a speed where you're starting to see some gains with real okay, I don't know anyone who I don't know anyone who does that. So <laughs> we just run with different people. Um I mean, if you live my on gravel planet, rides aren't going Patrick. that way. What's that? <laughs> my gravel rides aren't going that fast, but when I was doing uh the, you know, the fast group rides in Southern California, 
you know, I'd get home with an average speed of 24 miles an hour. Uh, you are a far better man than I am, Gunga Din. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know about Gunga there, or Din. Yeah, <laughs> listeners out there who are traveling at Patrick Brady speeds, uh, you should invest in the lightest, most aero bike that you can find. Because, and I agree with him. Actually, I agree. I, that is a page on which we are both. Uh, but if you're traveling at robot speeds, ugh. Save, save your money for the burrito after. <laughs> Here's another funny one, since we're talking about marketing copy and all that. So typically, uh, you know, aerodynamic products are marketed in terms of what they will save you. Uh, mm. You'll save four seconds. You know, you will shave, you know, three seconds over every five kilometers, whatever. Um, my, my sensate experience of aerodynamics um, mm. is not that I save anything. When I would go out on group rides with a set of zip 404s and an aerodynamic helmet, I would get home from those rides butchered, just absolutely drawn, quartered, and quartered again, because what those aerodynamic products allowed me to do was get to the front of the ride, be at the pointy end of the spear. And mm. I would just destroy myself because I could actually string people out on my wheel without mm. any of those aero products. I, you know, I was maybe in the front half of the group, but not right up front. Um, and so at a certain level, having aerodynamics, having aerodynamic products, contributed to me getting stronger as a cyclist because I was hmm. working harder because I wasn't just buried in the group trying to survive. So that's a fail in marketing copy for aero products. But that also may just be a quirk of my um, personality. Hmm. <laughs> Which we love. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't get me wrong. But I think my takeaway from this is the best marketing copy that I've encountered in the last hour was me just now saying, save your money for the burrito after the ride. <laughs> that's if I had a bike company today, that's my that's my pitch. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I could see a voodoo or a, a swobo mm. or, you know, I could see uh, not Santa Cruz. No, but uh, I could see there, you know, um yeah, Surly. Surly. I'm going to make some phone calls after we get get, you get really off should. the thing yes. here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell this thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good plan. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. And yeah. then come back and, and hear what you've got uh, between your ears, cogitating and turning over. This podcast is brought to you by Shimano. I remember getting my first real road bike uh, in the middle 90s, and the guy selling it to me, uh, his main pitch was that of all the bikes in my price range, this was the only one that had Shimano Ultegra components on it. And it was, I guess I wasn't really, I wasn't a, a heavy 
I was a bike nerd, but I wasn't a gear guy at that point. And so I was kind of, this was my first introduction to the idea that Ultegra was somehow this gold standard in road components. And I kind of, you know, I'm a cynical guy. I'm a skeptical guy. And I, I sort of dismissed that out of hand. And then I rode the other bikes and I was like, oh no, I get exactly what that means. And it, it, it's never stopped meaning that. I've had so many Ultegra bikes uh, since then, and it's it really means something over a period of 25 years or, or whatever. Uh, it's more now. It's more like 30 to have made something that is the gold standard. Um, and so that's part of the reason we're proud to have them as a sponsor for the podcast. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Uh, time for your poll. What do you got? Well, my poll today is one I've actually done once before with Celine, but I want to revisit for a couple of reasons. One of which is uh, that I want to I want to hear your answer to this question. Oh. I want to get your perspective. I was thinking last night about all that cycling has given me. I can remember a day way back in the 1980s when I thought I'd like to go all in on cycling. Now, at that point in my life, even though I rode plenty and worked in a bike shop, I didn't know what shape that might take. Going all in on cycling, you know, I was still in my 20s. Where might this take me? Um, I wasn't yet writing about cycling. And what I was making at the bike shop was better than minimum wage. But, you know, in Tennessee, not by a whole lot. Um, but my thinking was I wanted to make cycling my whole world. If you know, being a rock star wasn't going to pan out. Uh, mm. And I was starting to get really solid information on that. <laughs> the crazy thing is when I back up and look at my life from 30,000 feet, cycling has inarguably made my life bigger, not smaller. It gave me things far outside cycling itself, interests, passion, knowledge, uh, not to mention experiences that lay, you know, far outside cycling itself. I met my first wife through a cycling training partner. Um, I live in California because I landed a job with a bike magazine for which I had to move to L.A. I now live in Sonoma County because I first visited the area as the result of a bike event and that visit introduced me to the wines of the area and between the two, I <laughs> rather quickly developed a quite the infatuation with this place. Uh, and speaking of wine, my interest in wine itself was sparked due to a sip of Chateauneuf de Pop that I savored while in France on a bike tour. Uh, the irony of, of cycling introducing me to something that I fell in love with that slowed me down as a cyclist that, <laughs> I, I mean, hopefully I'm going to be around, say, another 30, 35 years. That's what I'm shooting for. And I hope that there is at least, you know, one day in every one of those years that I continue to chuckle about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. My love of descending mountain roads is what led to me learning about the neuroscience that underpins flow states. And learning about neuroscience led me in a number of directions that have helped me treat and in some areas resolve issues I've had with depression and anxiety. Um, 
without my fascination for the neuroscience of flow, I'd never have been open to using cannabis products, particularly CBD creams to treat nerve pain that I have, spinal stenosis, and I'd never have been willing to contemplate being treated with ketamine to tackle longstanding depression. While it hasn't happened often, uh, I'll say that cycling itself has introduced me to a few women I've become romantically entangled with. Um, that's Entangled is a great word. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's how my romances tend to go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, moving right along. Uh, one of the subtler gifts cycling has given me has been the way it has stoked my fire for writing. Uh, writing the, with the W and the T. My desire to write well, to write accurately of cycling, has caused me to continue to chase the craft of writing. The combination of my treatment for depression, because cycling, and my ambition as a writer, because cycling, resulted in something I really didn't see coming at all, (laughs) and certainly wasn't asking for, and that is a passion for writing fiction. Mm. I have one novel more or less complete. It needs some heavy-duty revision, but I have one completed novel. I have another in the works, and... Another on a back burner. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Romantic mean, I, entanglements with fiction. I like it. Go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there is an inherent irony to all of this. I wanted to draw my box tight to focus on just the one thing. I was going to go all in on the adage, write what you know. I wanted to be a writer, to write well, so I learned cycling. But I've learned so much more. And that I hope that I never lose a sense of wonder about that. Um, maybe the, the sense of surprise will pass at some point, but I hope I never lose my sense of wonder about that. And so now I want to put the question to you. What did cycling introduce you to that you didn't see coming? <clears throat> well, I'm in two minds about this. Uh the the easy answer is um almost everything you know uh <laughs> f- uh friendships jobs uh science creativity like all that stuff and the flip side answer is cycling isn't a thing by which i mean cycling is like the lens that i happen to be looking at the world through most of the time. But the world's the world. I'm learning about it all the time. Cycling is just the lens. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be too cute about that, but it's really, it's really true. I, I, I tend to get along well with cyclists who are, you know, sort of, um, people very interested in um, freedom and being outside and they tend to be salty and down to earth. They're just my kind of people. Uh, And they also are interested in all of the stuff, usually the sciences uh, Mm -hmm. and also the spiritualities, you know, like one of the things I talk about with my friends is that we're all working on what I call the project. And the project starts at whatever point in your adult life, uh, 
when you realize that you have to make your life about something, you know? So for example, I went through my twenties and the early, my early thirties, like, Oh, I'm trying to make money. I'm trying to get a better job. I'm trying to do, uh, I'm trying to buy a house. I'm trying to, you're trying to do all these things you think you're supposed to do. And invariably there's friction and there are headwinds and you, you reassess and you think, okay, what, what is, what is it that I really want? What is my life really going to be about? What does it really mean? That's when the project starts and the bike is a big part of the project. And it's also the lens through which you learn, uh, so much that helps with the project but cycling and the lens is also kind of nothing. It's not that important, which is terrible to say on a cycling podcast. I understand <laughs> that everyone out there is like, wait, cycling is nothing. Um, <laughs> but it's not. We do it. We like it. Um, but it's 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 both essential and beside the point. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the term baseline comes comes to mind again. Um, but I, I really resonate with, you know, your usage of, of the word lens. Yeah. The world, uh, the world for me is refracted by the lens of cycling. Um, I just about everything in my life passes through the cycling lens in some way or other, uh, in terms of how it affects my time. Um, uh, you know, will it, will it affect my cycling in some way? Um, uh, you know, how does it dovetail with at, at some level, most everything gets, gets passed through that lens of cycling somehow, some way. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, most of the writing I'm doing is about the life that I'm living and the bike is the character but it's not really that I'm writing about cycling. You know, like I've written, I don't know how many 60 or 70 of these useless reviews. And mm -hmm. the point of them is to stick a pin in my own ego and my own propensity for taking myself too seriously and for taking cycling too seriously. That's the whole point. Um, mm -hmm. The bike is just one of the characters uh, in that story, which I hope people enjoy. But, I mean, that's really just, you know. <sighs> yeah, I've learned so much and met so many people, and this, the bike is always there. It's key. It's super important and, and also beside the point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a given in my life. And I like how you call it a character. You know, I, mm. um, I like thinking about how the Overlook Hotel was a character in Stephen King's novel, The Shining. You know, mm. It's as important as Jack. Right. Uh, and yeah, in my life, cycling is one of the characters, uh, a, a cornerstone of, of what my days are, even on the days I don't get to ride. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a great pal. It's, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it never shows up late. No. No, it's far more reliable than I am. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the note to end on. <laughs> All righty, let's move on to Paceline Picks. What, what are you working with this week? So this week I am picking the Defeat 
Wooliator 5-inch D-logo sock in charcoal gray, which is very specific. Yep. Here's, here's why. As regular listeners will know, I prefer my cycling stuff to do double, triple, or even quadruple duty. Uh, and the Wooliator, specifically in charcoal, they make them in all sorts of designs and colors. But the charcoal one gives me that versatility. It's a uh, it's a thin wool sock. You can wear it all year long. In winter, it's a base sock. I might put under a thicker wool sock. In spring and fall, it's all the sock I need. Uh, in summer, it's pretty breathable. I'd wear it on short rides for sure. Uh, but that's just riding bikes. It's a great cycling sock. I also run in it, and I use it as mm. a base sock for winter hiking. Again, it's thin. Mm-hmm. It's wool. It's warm. It's breathable. It's a great base sock uh for yep any any uh shoe you want to stick it in uh but mm-hmm. here here's the coup de gras it's Ooh. also a dress sock <laughs> I, i'm a bike rider for christ's <laughs> sakes i'm a i'm a writer i spend my days rolling around in the dirt or feet up on the couch with a laptop on my um my well i guess my lap Anyway, so I don't maintain a wardrobe that includes dress socks, right? (laughs) I also don't have a weather balloon, you know? I just feel like dress socks would be as useful in my life as a weather balloon. You know how much I'm interested in the weather. Anyway, the Wooliator So you're saying you would get more use out of a weather balloon than, say, a tie? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The Wooliator in charcoal makes a fine dress sock. Okay, it's got a little D logo on it. It's pretty. Yeah, you have a pair right there. It's pretty no, innocuous. This is, this is a tie. Oh, that's a tie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what you're doing with that. Uh, the little logo is really innocuous. You could even like sh- probably sharpie it out. Uh, but even if people at your fancy dinner or event notice it, I feel like it's only truth in advertising, right? Like, it says to people, I'm only a visitor on your planet. I'm a bike rider. (laughs) All right. I'm going to go back to planet happiness. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't want to be here long enough to buy the socks I need. Um, It's $18.99 retail, which is steep for a pair of socks, but it's not bad for a pair of wool socks made in the USA uh, with recycled fibers. Uh, they are durable as hell, these socks, due to something called Reprieve, which is basically shredded plastic water bottles that get mixed in with U.S.-grown Merino from Oregon. The socks get made in North Carolina. It's all the good things from a company doing things the right way, and I have pairs that are more than five years old, and these are in heavy rotation. I would get married mm-hmm. in these socks. <laughs> That's my that's my pick for the week. <laughs> uh, so back before they had the five inch version and we were all still wearing what we called cycling socks, you know, before Nike got yeah. to Lance Armstrong. I wrote a review of the Wooliator in which I called it the best sock ever in the history of the world. Uh, yeah. I've got pairs of the of those socks that are more than 10 years old at this point. Yeah. That may not say anything positive about me, (laughs) but it, 
it certainly says something about their durability. I didn't. Uh, mine are more than five years. Mine may be more than ten years old. I didn't want to say that because I wasn't sure, and I don't like to lie. Uh, but I mean, these <laughs> socks are old. And and but like you know you know how it is. You open your sock drawer and you reach for the most reliable the soft thing. Yeah, you reach for you have go to socks, right? Everyone has. Yeah. Uh, unless they are one of those sociopaths that only owns one type of sock. Anyway, uh, yeah, these are them. These are the socks. Yep. Yeah. What do you? Awesome. What do you? What's I your? Concur. Let's let, let's get off socks because this is getting uh, yeah, foot fetishy well, now. I, let's. Uh, I, <laughs> we're gonna move up the leg. As yeah. I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm wrestling with some tendonitis uh, and have been for more than a week now. Uh, Actually, I wonder if it may be a strain and not just tendonitis because I did it in a single ride. And I think there was one especially steep pitch of a climb where I did the damage. Uh, Be that as it may, moving right along. Since then, I've been taking ibuprofen, glucosamine and chondroitin uh, and CBD products, uh, both a chewable and a cream. My pick today are the full spectacular, <laughs> full spectacular, the full the spectrum CBD full gems. Spectrum. Yeah. Yes. Uh, from Floyd's of Leadville. Um, so these are CBD chewables from Floyd's okay. of Leadville. Our culture's current love affair with CBD is a bit over the top, like a Michael Bay action film or Irwin Allen's disaster films, if you remember those. Hmm. CBD is being touted as curing lots of things, from IBS to the national debt. Here's what we do know. CBD can help reduce nerve pain, swelling and inflammation, and it it can also alleviate anxiety. Uh, I've been chewing a 25 milligram CBD gem most mornings in the last 10 days or so, uh, when I don't forget, that is. And my knee feels better through the day, but I've also noticed less free-floating anxiety, which for me is usually a matter of muscle tension in my shoulders. Um, A 30-count package of these goes for $45. Not cheap, uh, but that chew does more than rise above my threshold of perception for anything else that I've been doing, um, except for the CBD cream, um, which I'll hit in a future episode. I've talked about it once before. Um, it's the Floyd's CBD cream is the best of all the various CBD creams I've ever used. But um, the gems are new to me. I haven't used them before. Um, I'm not healed yet, so I'm <laughs> maybe less than satisfied, but you know, they are now very much a part of my healing regimen. All righty then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all righty. That's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for TCI's other podcasts, Revolting, which is a cycling podcast that isn't really about cycling, uh, with John and Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market, and Enter the Deuce, which is even less about cycling and is more about the miracle that is modern medicine. Uh, we're hoping you like them. Uh, And if you do, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And if we aren't listed in a place you like to get podcasts, let us know in the comments where you'd like us to appear. Uh, It's 
uh, it's quite a process getting podcasts listed in different places. Um, send us more questions. Um, this is fun. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Paceline.